You're listening to the Britpop Show, sponsored by Creation Day Festival, playing the best and the rest of Britpop. It is the Britpop Show, and welcome, one and all. We have a very special guest this week. We have Steve Firth, bass player from the one and only Embrace, joining us in the studio to talk about all things Embrace, including their new album. I'm excited. I hope you are too. Join us on the other side of Ashes by Embrace to listen to Steve tell you all the gossip.
Wide Open Space by Manson, and before that we had Ashes by Embrace. And why is that? It's the reason for that is because we have Steve Firth, the very bass player from Embrace, with us today. Steve, I'm going to press the button and hope you're with us. Are you there, Steve? I'm here, yes. You are indeed there. Let me see if I can turn you up so everybody can hear you. Right, Steve, thank you so much for joining us, first off. Really appreciate it. Uh, I understand that you guys have got a new album out and no doubt we'll be talking about that shortly. Do you want to just give us a brief rundown of what the album's about, and then uh, we'll talk about some, um, some of the start well, of Embrace? That's, that's Danny, really, but the, the album title is probably... It's the lead singer thing, really. Isn't it? Uh, you live in your own little world, creating songs and music all the time, and you don't have much time for anyone else, and suddenly Danny's now married with two kids, and his wife's treating him to be a normal person and have him take the kids to school and do all the shopping and the normal stuff that we all have to do, but... I think that's what it's about. You'd have to ask Danny really, but <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, let's take you, let's take you right back to the start. How did the band form? They'd already formed before I met them. Um, they, this must have formed about '94, and they famously did a gig at a festival in Leeds, where they totally got slagged off by uh, being like too much like their influences. Like they were massively into Echo and the Bunnymen and these kind of '80s bands. And they didn't have many songs, so they decided to um, take themselves away and write songs, proper songs, 
which aren't just riffs but melodies and lyrics that mean something to people. And I, that's the moment that they, they were advertising for a bass player. That's where I joined the band. It was a t- total chance to live half a mile up the road from me. I'd never met them in this, my life. They went to the same school as me, Danny and Richard, but they were younger years. You don't speak to people below you do at school. My dad used to drink at the same bowling club as um, Danny's dad, Danny and Richard's dad. They used to drink t- together on a night, and Danny's dad was saying, do you know any bass players? My dad be like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I played bass, to be honest. It's, uh, yeah, so it's just total random, you know, aligning of the stars and everything. And, and, and so uh, when you when you came in, this was when they were they, when they were writing my weaknesses and on your yeah. business so, that kind of stuff. No, it was a long time before that. It was okay. like two years of like practicing three, four times a week. It eventually up to five times a week, and just banging right against the wall, making a racket, and trying to find out what you know, how, how, trying to learn how to write songs, trying to find a sound that was embraced. What, so, what was the process? Was it? Danny would come up with some chords and some words and bring it to you guys, and you'd stick the bass on. How does it work? We used to try every every different way you could do it, really. We used to just sort of jam over a couple of notes and see if Danny could get any vocals. We used to, people would come in with a riff and we'd play over that for half an hour or an hour. Danny would come in with four chords and a bit of a melody. We'd try every different way you could to make songs. It's never been easy for us. Yeah. You know, some bands kick out an album a year, but for us, it, it's, it's hard work, you know. And for you guys, your sound is often described as anthemic. And, yes, and you guys, you, 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 the first album, it's got orchestras on it. It's got all sorts on it. What what brought that about? What what made you start to think? Do you uh, know what? This is the way to go. Um, on the first album, we'd we'd written uh, good good people, and we'd left this massive section in the middle, which was a kind of bit a tribute to Day, Day in the Life by the Beatles, a bit of a rising string thing, and we were looking for someone to come in and do some you know strings and horns and orchestrate it and um, Dave Crefield who was producing the first album suggested Mickey Dale who he'd worked with before in uh, a few other bands we got him in for an afternoon and he created all that middle section in a couple of hours and we absolutely thought wow and then it was kind of like he's done that to good good people what could he do to my weakness what could he do to retread what could he do and we just got him in as like an an extra member of the band he wasn't a full member of the band for about a year and a half after that, it was a session musician in the band getting paid track by track, yeah. and he helped create the sound. It wasn't something we pre-planned; it just happened naturally, you know. Yeah, yeah. fair and, enough. Uh, you've been stuck with that ever since. We've been rebelling against it ever since. To be fair, well, we'll talk about um, a bit more about the, the debut album shortly. You've chosen some songs, uh, so you know, listeners, don't blame me. But. Uh, <laughs> Metal Mickey, chosen from by Suede. What? Why did you choose that? Because Suede were one of the coolest bands around in the early nineties. He used to be on. Was it the chart show on a Saturday morning? Uh, used to show videos, and it was like that's where I saw Live Forever for the first time. That's where I saw Metal Mickey for the first time, and I went to see him at um, Queens Hall in Bradford back in the early nineties. And I thought they're you know they're going to be big. You can tell a band can't see sometimes. He's got it. They look cool and. You know, you knew they were going to be big, yeah. and yeah, I love that song. Still, the best thing they've ever done for me. You know? Well, let's hear it. And on another side, we'll talk a bit more about the debut album and uh, and, and more things embrace. <laughs>
of Metal Mickey by Suede and we are joined in the studio this week by Steve Firth, bass player from Embrace and we've been talking so far about basically the creation of the first album. Now Steve, when did you start to think, do you know what, this might actually work, we might have something here? Oh, I don't know. Um, it's a weird thing when it happens to you, 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 you don't, you're not quite ready for it. You're kind of in a bit of a whirlwind. You don't really know what's happening, and it, it's strange because you kind of our first single went to number thirty-four, I think, and that would have been amazing in itself. But your next one goes to twenty-one, and then you get sort of like you expect it to each one to go better than the previous one, and you go from like being really pleased with getting in the top forty to really wanting to be number one and really wanting to push it as far as you can do it. So. Uh, my when we set out, all I wanted to do was write an album, be on an album that went into the charts, and I'd have been happy with that. Yeah. But as soon as you've done that, you set your sights higher and you keep going and going and see how far you can push it. Yeah. And then you become really ambitious, and then you get really down when you don't do so well. Because <laughs> when I first heard of you guys, I think it was, I went to see this gig. You'll probably correct me that I was wrong. It was in Leicester. I went to see a gig, and it was Long Pigs, and... They were supported by. I'm pretty sure you guys were first on, and then yeah. it was Travis, and then That's it, true. and then it yeah. was Long Pigs, and people can't believe that lineup because I and I remember standing, standing, uh, you know, listening to the show, and you guys came out and you were playing. My weakness is none of your business, yeah. and I remember thinking because you know what it's like the, the support act come out and you never see them again, and I remember thinking, oh, it's a real shame I'm never going to hear these guys again because I actually quite like this song. Cool. <laughs> and then out came Travis, and I was like, "Blimey, these guys are good as well." These, you know, these. Are, and then, yeah. and then Long Pigs came out, and Long Pigs, amazing band as well. So I didn't realise at the time quite what a special lineup that was, but it just all took off. Yeah. That was our first ever tour. Was that um, right? Yeah, up until before we got signed, I'd only ever played with Embrace six times. We'd done six <laughs> gigs. At I might be exaggerating, it might be eight times, but we, I think we did six gigs at the Dutch of the York in Leeds, which were a famous music pub back in the day, you know, a small stage, all about 150, 200 people. Yeah. So then we then we got signed and we did a little tour with a band called Geneva for three yeah, days. Yeah, we know, we, we're big friends, we're big fans of Geneva on this show. We've yeah, they, they were yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. And the lead singer playing. had a very high voice, didn't he? he, was, he yeah, it, they were, I, thought, I don't know what happened to them, but... Um, yeah, so we did three small gigs with them, and then it suddenly we're on the Long Pigs, Travis Joe, doing theatres, yeah. which was a massive learning curve, something from like a small pub to being on these big stages, playing 1,500, 2,000 people a night, and yeah. technically you go on stage and you go, shit, I can't hear it, I can't hear it, at band, What's, what am I meant to do here? And you kind of learn the, tr learn the trade very, very quickly. But the whole thing about that tour was each night we took in turns. Travis were the first on one night, then the next night would be first on. And, you know, we know the story of Travis. They went massive, you know. Well, what's funny about Travis was following that gig, I then had I had your first uh, EP and their first album release in my diary. Mm. And so I went and bought them and, and, and got all of those. Uh, and the, the first Travis album I think is great, but... They didn't. It didn't really take off, and it was weird because they were supporting Oasis at, at like GMEX, and they would say, "Who's got our album?" and no one had heard of them. And it's only mm. when they picked up the acoustic guitar for the second album that they yeah. really took off. Uh, but you guys, you you became 
it felt like to me anyway that you had a lot of hype behind you. Would you feel that's was that right for the first album? Definitely, definitely. There were the the uh, press played on the brother thing. You know, they were looking for a new Oasis. Yeah. Um, they thought we might be that band. They they pushed that angle all the time. They yeah, they they, they did build us up ready to you know knock us down. That old enemy thing. Uh, yeah, we went along with it. We pretended to be a bit, bit of a swagger. We said a lot of silly things, but we're always said with a, a, a smile on your face and all that. But it don't come across in writing somehow. <laughs> so we right. come across as arrogant. Well, I think that's right because I, I remember in, in Enemy, I can't remember if this is the right way round. I think it was. It, I think they were saying they were talking about Gomez, and they say they were saying Gomez is the next big thing after the next big thing. And the next big mm. thing is Embrace. And then Gomez will be the next big yeah. thing after Embrace. And they did that. And and I think Danny has said something along the lines of, when you go into the studio, you feel a bit invincible. And you get these, you get these, um, these journalists who want you to say something cocky and arrogant. They do. They don't want you to say, yeah, we're all right. We're not bad. You know, <laughs> things are going great. They want you to say, you want, to be, you want you to be like Liam or Ian Brown and just say, yeah, we're the best band in the world, you know fuck everybody else you know yeah, they want exactly. that sort of stuff and i think we played up to it a little bit yeah yeah well it's that thing we were all in the studio up north in huddersfield in a cheap studio we, there were no phones in them days there were no internet as such it was just in our own little world and these like loaded would come up one weekend fhm the next enemy it was just like i don't know it must have we, been crazy we didn't give them much it was crazy yeah we were annoying because we were trying to write an album and they just get, oh, tomorrow you've got three hours doing an interview and a photo shoot, and it just interrupted us all the time. Yeah. So, you know, it, it slowed the album process down by many months, did all the yeah. the hype. We weren't quite ready for it. You know, we didn't have a full album's worth of songs when we went to the studio, and they were kind of like, seat of our pants. You know, Danny were writing fireworks lyrics as it were going down almost, you know. Yeah. Well, that, and, and also there was that thing at the time as well, wasn't there, that any single had to have four songs on it and that became a bit of well that, yeah that, that was a big problem. thing the eps yeah we loved doing the eps but it, it took a lot of time and effort yeah you know um once the chart rules changed we were a bit upset about that because we liked creating a little piece of work yeah. a little piece of art in itself with four songs you could you could let it breathe and yeah. do different stuff when it's four songs and then it became just stick a remix on B's side, you know, you didn't care. <laughs> and now you don't have to do them at all, so it's really weird, you know. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Now, we had a message in from a listener from Mark. He says, I'm enjoying the interview. There's nothing wrong with being influenced by Echo and the Bunnymen. Nothing lasts forever if you have space to play it, please. Are you up for that? I love bloody Echo and the Bunnymen, yeah. Well, let's have a Ocean bit of that. Ray's one of my favourite albums. Well, let's have a bit of that, and then we'll move on yeah. to something back, a bit more Britpop. This is Nothing Lasts Forever. Thank you. 
gets me on my knees And I want more than I can give Just trying to, trying to, trying to forget Nothing ever lasts forever Nothing ever lasts forever Nothing ever lasts forever Nothing ever lasts forever and the Bunnyman, as requested by Mark, because we're talking to Steve Firth from Embrace, and he was talking about their initial influences with Echo and the Bunnyman, and as Mark said, nothing wrong with Echo and the Bunnyman, and we all agree. But we were talking about your first album, Steve, and uh, what happened then? What you, you made it big, and suddenly you're doing your own tours. How? What was that like? Well, it was amazing. We were like selling out two thousand people a night, but. Uh, selling bricks and academy out and yeah it was i couldn't believe it you just sort of swept up in it so much you don't really appreciate it until afterwards you know it's um a whirlwind of press interviews it's too much sometimes you know these boy bands that make it you, once you've been in the business bit, you understand how hard it is for yeah. them they yeah. they're doing interviews all day long and yeah. photo shoots and then they're doing the sound check and then they're doing the gig and it's it, I mean I'm not trying to make out it's hard work it's not like working in a normal job but it's hard work I'll try and go easy on <laughs> you tonight I'll try and not, not yeah, take I'm not it too hard yeah I'm not going to start saying oh woe is me but yeah it's, sometimes it's the long days yeah, yeah. and you're suddenly selling out these big arenas. But Ben from Gomez, he said that he hadn't, from their first album, which obviously won a Mercury Music Prize, he said they they didn't make any money off it because they were 
stitched up by the record contract. Was that a similar thing from you guys? Were you finding that <coughs> you were said it was you were only getting money from the music from, well, from the gigs? Um, there was a lot of music kicking around in the business at that time because we were on Virgin, which had Placebo, Gomez, as you know, Smashing Pumpkins, and then they had the Spice Girls on Virgin as well. So they were making a lot of money. So we end up our cheapest video was three hundred thousand pounds. No, thirty thousand pounds. Our most expensive was a hundred thousand pounds. So you're doing five, six videos an album. You can see how the money racks up. Yeah. Um, we were touring Europe with tour support. The, the record companies in them day used to give you tour support to play Europe. So we'd be staying in hotels, like decent hotels, playing 150, 200 people a night. And they do that to sort of build you up and build an audience to make money later on down the line. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, so we all we did when we got an advance was pay ourselves 250 quid a week. Mm. And we said, like, you know, as time goes on, we'll up that and up that and up that. And then about eight years later, we realised we're still on the same wedge. <laughs> so we were staying in five-star hotels with swimming pools and played to 250 people a night in Stuttgart or somewhere like that. Yeah. Uh, so we had a life, but yeah. We wasted a lot of money in studio time as well. We are paying £1,000 a day in studios in London for months on end. It just racks up. Producers getting money, yeah. engineers getting lots of money. And it was just like having a few beers and a curry and enjoying ourselves you oh, know that's fair enough if you're going to do yeah. it you've got to do it properly haven't you i think so yeah, we were we were all as you know we'd be in like olympic studios and there'd be picture of the pink floyd on the wall and, and you know liam gallagher in there doing interviews and yeah. you know led zeppelin were recording in the other studio and it's all this history that's all around and you kind of get off you get in awe of it all to be honest and it's yeah. just nice to be a little this tiny little part of it and who was your favorite support act i.e act that supported you Oh, I don't know. Can you name some? <laughs> Mine's gone blank. <laughs> well, you've got, obviously, you've had, obviously, you've had Travis. Did Gomez ever support you? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. I mean, we used to hang around with Gomez, and we went to see him a lot of times. I can't remember. What, yeah. they, they must have supported us, yeah. Yeah. Because we, we used to have this joke that all the support bands went on to do better than us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I mean, would you say Travis went on to do better? And Travis became massive oh, yeah. at one point, didn't they? But yeah. only for Well, the story of Travis is they were going to be dropped until uh, Wads It Ever Rain On Me came out and then they suddenly went, sold millions. Yeah, they... They, they suddenly hit the zeitgeist or whatever and they, they sold like a couple of million albums off the back of that. I think that's right. They uh, they did look... Their first album didn't do... That was brilliant, but they, it didn't do as well as it... The second album's really good, though. I mean, Driftwood's one of my favourite songs of theirs. And uh, Oh, yeah. Coldplay's... Um, girlfriend's just shouted out, Coldplay supported us. Yeah, that's what we think. They supported you, today. Yes, one of their first ever gigs. So we also used to say we should pay... We should make them pay to support us. <laughs> well, we, we, we will uh, we'll come on to Coldplay in a bit. I do remember seeing Coldplay early on supporting Muse, I think, at Kentish Town right. Forum. Would that be yeah. right? Possible, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to play any Coldplay, though. I'll get lynched for that. So how about we play a bit of Gomez and then we'll come back to it. Yes, play some Gomez. All right, I'm going to st- – what's, what's your favourite Gomez song? Give us a couple of choices. Well, I'll, how about Get Myself Arrested because that's what yeah. I've got lined up. Yeah, yeah. All right, <laughs> let's do that one. Hits from the 1990s. Thank you. 
to get myself arrested from Gomez who supported Embrace and we have Steve Firth the bass player from Embrace in the studio with us and he's been joined by a cat <laughs> uh, Steve, Steve uh, unfortunately it doesn't work on radio people can't see what's going on but trust us he's, he looks like some Bond villain sat there with his chair on his chair <laughs> Stroking this cat. Um, all sorts of jokes I could make, but I'm not going to. Right, no, Steve. No. Um, tell us. About, so the second album. Tell often second albums are, are known to be difficult because you've got nine years to write the first album, nine months to write the second album. Was that yes, true? That's generally the case. Yeah, and all you know about is touring, and you know that's our life for the next couple of years. If you have a successful first album, our second album was probably 
our big, biggest rock and roll experience in our in our lifetime with um, the producer. We were actually we started off produce working on it in Leeds in a little studio, which was kind of we were trying to keep the cost down, and we wanted to sleep in our own beds, go go home on a night and stuff, and just have a normal life. But after a few months, we we all went a bit stir crazy, and that producer Tristan Noel said, let's hire a big stately home like they used to do in the 70s, Led Zepp style. I think Red Hot Chili Peppers company. did it as well, didn't they? They went to the south of France and when they did Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic, they did. They just lived and breathed the, the album. Yeah. yeah, and we kind of did that thing. We found this place down, God, where was it? In St Cotswolds, Morton in Marsh, yeah. beautiful part of the country. Was it, was it uh, near Bathurst? Batsford. Yes, it, or Batsford Manor, yeah, and it's an absolutely gorgeous area. I'd never been to that part of the country before. We spent like three or four months, yeah, living it up. Uh, we had caterers giving us, you know, we were basically you'd be playing. We had we took a table, tennis table in there, pinball machine, snooker table were in there already. And Isn't that the place where Radiohead recorded OK yes, Computer? They kind of when we went in there, we thought we we're the first band ever to, to be there, but there were the um. Found out Radiohead had been doing a few early demos in there. Yeah, we found a box of their VHSs as well. Yeah, I hope you. I hope you kept them. No, we had a quick nosy through. I'm thinking they'd be all arty kind of VHSs, but they were all carry on camping and the usual stuff, <laughs> <laughs> playing strains of automobiles. You know, fair enough. Which is quite nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice to know that they're all they're all on our level. They're as all well. normal. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so you spent a long time in this. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fantastic, and we were kind of reacting against the first album in a way because, like I said before, we got Mickey Dale in on the first album, and the string thing just seemed to fit, and he was so talented. We kind of went down that route, and by the end of it, we thought actually there's more to us than that, mm. and we, we've kind of been typecast a bit of this kind of like grandiose operatic big sort of overblown production and all yeah. this the second album were a bit more of a reaction against it and it got called schizophrenic in the press which i suppose is fair enough and you know we did try and show all sides of the band yeah. and yeah and it didn't do as well but we're immensely proud of that album it's fantastic no, it's a great album and it's a great time as well and yeah. it just makes me feel good yeah and then we're going to move on to you have the third album and then you've got Presumably, you got. Did you get dropped by the record company after the third album? Yeah, um, the third album was a reaction against the second album. Okay. I suppose, in case I try not to be a schizophrenic and trying to create a mood piece, something that works as a whole. And um, I think the thing that lets it down is probably didn't have as many singles on it, and it's a bit sleepy. We always think it's a bit yeah. could do with a up his ass. Yeah, um, yeah it still went to number eight in the charts, yeah. but that wasn't good enough back then for us and they dropped us yeah right. on my birthday of all times oh, honestly <laughs> well i'll tell you what we'll do we're going to talk about that how you rose again from the ashes if you if you pardon the pun uh, after this song again by ash pardon the pun do you remember the time when you were gone from mars i don't know if you knew that oh it's there playing cards and you went to cigars and she never told me her name I still love you to go from Sitting in a dreamy days by the water 
his head On a cool summer night Fireflies and stars in the sky Gentle glowing light From your cigarette The breeze blowing softly on my face Reminds me of something else Something that in my memory's been misplaced Suddenly all comes back And as I look to the stars I remember the time when you were from Mars I don't know if you knew that Always there with playing cards And we went to the cigars But she never told me the name I still love you to go from Mars Searching through the darkness over the moon and strand Electricity in the air Twisting all through the night on the terrace Now that summer is here I know that you are almost in love with me I can see it in your eyes Trains light shimmering over the sea tonight And it almost blows my mind And as I look to the stars I remember the time from Mars. I don't know if you knew that Always everything caught me Green turned cigars But she never told me her name I still love you to go from Mars Listening to the Britpop Show, sponsored by Creation Day Festival, playing the best and the rest of Britpop. You are indeed listening to the Britpop Show, and our guest this week is Steve from Embrace. And we got to the stage now where you guys, you all, you all had regular jobs, didn't you? At some point, yeah. Well, you know, I have work normal jobs. <laughs> um, yeah, after we got dropped, uh, we were kind of back to reality, I suppose, and. Um, Realizes, you know, you, it's not great on your CV to be in a band, really. You know, no one's clever crying out for musicians to, you know, to come and work for them. So, yeah, I ended up working at a friend's um, shop floor, made plastic welding, yeah. like pipes for the water, water industry, and yeah. did that for, I can't remember how many months, but, you know, it was kind of back to reality. But at the same time, that Rick decided he wasn't going to give up and he started building a studio in his house and yeah. 
we got a phone call. He needs help, so we all went round and we were plasterboarding and yeah. you know, painting and doing all the stuff you have to do to make a studio look good. And after we'd spent six months getting it together, we'd now had a base, which it won't cost us anything. Yeah. All the gear could be stored there. We could rehearse there and we could write there. And that's the start of uh, album four, really. And Chris Martin came knocking. How did that happen? He, didn't, well, he, didn't he write Gravity? Yes. What happened in the old days, it's really hard to remember back, but when you went on tour, bands used to send you demo tapes. They used to send to the record company or the management company and ask for support slots. Yeah. And we used to get a box of C90s and you'd go through them looking for bands, trying to find bands to support you. And one of them in the early days was Coldplay. And they played with us. Danny's picked it out immediately and thought, this, this band's good. And they played with us at... Uh, Blackpool Tower Ballroom, one of our biggest gigs at the time. I think that's 2000. Okay. And you could tell they were going to go somewhere. They, you know, they had something. Yeah. And obviously they went, I mean, I think Yellow came out about a month after this this gig and they, they went stratospheric. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Danny had stayed friends with Chris. And um, the story is that uh, they used to play each other songs over the phone every week and say, what do you think of this? And they'd be really honest with each other and stuff. Yeah. And Danny always loved Gravity. It was a really slow piano ballad. And it was going to be on Coldplay's next album, but the rest of the band didn't like it. They thought it was a bit too slow. So, that, <laughs> But Danny loved it. And Chris rang Danny up and said, I know it might be a bit weird, but do you want to do a version of it? Because I don't want it not to be used. Yeah. And, and we'd finished our album out of nothing. Uh, Danny came in one day and said, what do you think about us doing a version of this? And we all went, let's have a go at it. We did a version in the studio. We thought, actually, it's a really good song. Mm. And um, we played it to our manager and uh, the record company. Obviously, they did our hands off, go, wow, this is an angle. Yeah. We can put this, you know, Coldplay, biggest band in the world. Yeah, let's go for it. So they sent us back down to London, to Olympic, to re-record it with youth and uh, got it on the album. And it is, it did make the, make the album better and it, it's a great song and, you know, I'm glad we did it. Well, and also it put it pushed you guys right back into the into the spotlight, didn't it? It did. I mean, unusual to come back after you know being dropped and you know four albums in, you're usually yeah. gone for good. Um, yeah, we, there's a lot of press about the title, calling us Lazarus, you know, rising from the ashes and all that stuff. Yeah, it did do us a lot of good. Did that? Yeah, no, We're absolutely. Certainly grateful for Chris. And plus, a couple of years ago, he got us to support them at the Millennium, Millennium Stadium in. Wales, which was one of the best things we've ever done. I was going to mention that. he does, uh, That was a huge gig, wasn't it? Stunningly amazing to play on a, that sort of gig, you know. And also, your, your, back to your debut album, those songs were designed for a stadium, really, weren't they? It, yeah, I mean, it, it was, surprisingly, it wasn't overawing. It kind of felt good to play those songs in that stadium, yeah. you know. And, uh, yeah, I mean... To get new memories like that at this stage in your career is a really lucky. Yeah. We know we do appreciate it. And presumably, a lot of the audience knew Embrace and knew the songs. Uh, it, the same, we went down well, but I'm not sure about that, you know, because yeah. people move on very quickly, don't they? Um, yeah. You know, we had two years and people were onto different bands. And yeah. I know next time we played Wales, we got a lot more people coming to see us. Yeah. Right, we're going to move on to another song that you chose, um, uh, She Said by the Long Pigs. And after that, we're going to talk about the new album and the tour. 
great song, great choice. Thanks for choosing this one. <laughs> cool. Listening to the Britpop Show, sponsored by Creation Day Festival, playing the best and the rest of Britpop. 
Yes, you are. Now we had a message in from Dave. Dave's in uh, in America and he says, the Out of Nothing album was my introduction to Embrace. I loved this album when it came out. I still do. And it allowed me to explore their earlier work. I'm not sure of their success here in the US, but this album is one of my favourites. There you go. That's really cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's not bad. So that's someone yeah. listening from America right now. But yeah. Embrace... Everybody needs to know this. Embrace have a new album out, an eighth studio album called How to Be a Person Like Other People, released on the 26th of August, 2022. Would you like to tell us anything about it or shall I move on to the tour dates? <laughs> Do the tour dates as well. So the tour dates are, and guys, go along. This, is, this tour is starting in a month's time. 31st of August, Aberdeen Music Hall. 1st of September, Edinburgh O2 Academy. Second uh, of sorry, second of September, Newcastle Northumbria University. Third, Nottingham Rock City. Fourth, Sheffield O2 Academy. Sixth, Cardiff Tramshed. Eighth, Birmingham O2 Institute. Ninth, London Brixton Academy. Tenth, Manchester O2 Apollo, and eleventh, Norwich University of East Anglia. It's a big old tour that. It's not bad, is it? Yeah. 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 And so, is there anything you'd like to tell us about the album? What's your favourite song of? I think if you like our first album, this is the closest we've done to recreating that. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. I think We Are It is the closest, biggest single we're going to have. You know, it's going to be our new Ashes. Yeah. Uh, we've got another song on there that's going to be like The Goodwill Out Part 2. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I think the Embrace fans of old will like it, will love it, in fact. Um, well, we've got a lot of them listening on this show because, you know, the Britpop show, that's yeah. what people come for. They come for the 90s. I think you get to a certain stage in your life where it's not trying to, you're not trying to reinvent the wheel, just do what we do. This is what makes us special, the five of us in a room. Um, you know, we're just doing what makes Embrace, and I think we are. It's the most Embrace thing we've ever done, you know. Yeah. It ticks all the Embrace boxes, you know, uplifting, anthemic, yeah. you know, be good at festivals and yeah, yeah. stuff. It's, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got the debut album on vinyl and I stick it on all the time. You just just let it play. It's just amazing. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, so um, we are now running out of time. So I'm, I'm afraid to say we're going to have to end it now. But before we do, just a quick reminder to all of the listeners, if you don't know Embrace, go and check out Embrace now. Obviously, fans of the Britpop show will know Embrace. But go and check them out. Put the date in your diary, 26th of August. Their new album will be out and they go on tour on the 31st of August. Go and support live music because remember during yeah. COVID, we couldn't get out and we all missed it. So don't get complacent. Go out there and support these acts because they don't get any money off Spotify. They need your support because without it, music will die. Rant over. Thank no, you. No, that's a good rant, is that? That's perfect. <laughs> Thank you very much, Steve, for joining us. Just a quick question What's your favorite Embrace song? Uh, near life i'm glad you said that because that's what we've got thank you for joining us and to you listeners see you on the flip side